0: If you've made yourself play small your entire life and done what everyone else wanted, uncomfortable setting boundaries weren't sure if you were really being satisfied or seen or valued in any of your friendships or relationships or even your career life this is for you i am so so excited to tell you that the doors to my program i'm not asking are officially open this entire program is a one-on-one three-month program so the two of us get to work together and do a deep dive into your life this is the time where we we can figure out where you might be self sabotaging, where you're playing small, where you're holding yourself back, so that we can amp up your self worth, amp up your confidence, and really get you to the place of living your authentic life. Like this is so exciting, and I have never released a program like this at all. By the time we finish the course, it'll be a new year. You'll get to really be the new you, and this is all about you taking life in your own hands, right? It's called I'm Not Asking because you are not asking asking for permission from anyone else any longer you are not waiting around for anyone else to make decisions for you you are not waiting around to see how you can please everyone else or how you can sacrifice yourself this is the time for you to be there for yourself there are only four very special spots for this program total those are the only four spots that are going to be available until 2022 this program is self-care and shadow work and self-love and someone who only wants the best for you being there to hold space for you to hold you accountable to love you and encourage you and boost you up when you're feeling low I can tell you that in my experiences getting coached one-on-one I have had light speed growth that I would not be able to accomplish on my own especially if you're struggling with self-doubt because as much as you are taking steps forward you can also take steps backwards and having a coach who is there on your side who is able to remind you of the breakthroughs that you've already had, who was able to remind you of the power that you hold and there to show you how capable you are it prevents a lot of that backtracking it prevents a lot of that self-sabotage so that we can continue to heal and move forward and step into that empowered version of yourself because it's in there right we just need to peel back the conditioning the limiting beliefs the layers that have tried to distract you from how capable and how beautiful you are if you are ready to apply or learn more make sure that you head to the show notes below that will take you to the page where you can learn even more about the program learn what it includes learn a little bit more about me and my coaching process and what you can expect from this incredible program from there you can apply and the reason that I designed an application process for this even though it's short and sweet and it's a pretty simple application I want to make sure that I have time to answer any questions that you have that you feel like you know what this program is But most of all, I want to make sure that we are aligned to work together. If you're kind of iffy and you're not sure if you're in the right place, those are all the things that we can figure out through the application process. So even after you apply, we'll have a conversation, likely over email, and from there, we will get everything set in stone to begin coaching together in October. So this is honestly the most exciting most detailed most in-depth offering i've ever put out this is my longest form program as well so i know how much power is going to come out of this program if you are ready to apply or learn more make sure that you head to the show notes below all right now let's jump into this really amazing episode with burnout coach and licensed therapist mona Mona Ishaker, LMFT, pronouns she and her, is a licensed therapist and mental health consultant. She specializes in burnout recovery and prevention on the individual and systemic levels. She's passionate about work-life balance and psychological safety for historically underrepresented folks. welcome to is it worth it the self-worth podcast my name is roshni i am the founder of self-worth coaching and the ceo of Betty grew up a content creation and coaching platform this podcast and my work are dedicated to helping you become your most empowered self and to remind you to detach your self-worth from your external life experience. This is powerful work and I am so grateful that you are joining me for another episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to learn even more about self-worth and personal growth, I have links to all of my other content and platforms down in the show notes. You can visit my website www.betigrewup to see all the ways that you can work with me. From guided meditations to intensive one-on-one work, there is something available for every phase of your personal growth journey. Once again, you can find the links to everything in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's hop into this incredible episode. and and had to give my dog a pet. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Um, So thank you everyone for joining us again. I am so excited to start a new episode all about burnout, self-worth, and how burnout also affects people of color and the lgbtq plus community and um mothers as well like there's so much um just difference in in how we're all treated in corporate America and so the fact that there's populations disproportionately affected by these things is so major and that's why I'm so so excited to have Mona here with us today so Mona is a licensed therapist and a burnout coach as I mentioned and so um, I've been admiring her work your work on Instagram for so long now and I'm so glad we can finally get together to have a conversation first of all thank you for being here yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for that lovely intro. I've also been
1: following your work for a while. Um, and so it's just really nice to, to actually chat with you. Um, your work really inspires me. And I feel like a lot of our work is very parallel, right? Like the this the self-esteem, the the confidence coaching and the and burnout boundaries, right? It all especially coming from like an underrepresented um group. Um, there's there's so much overlap. So I'm really excited to be here and chat with you about that today
0: yeah me too. and I agree. there's so much to talk about here and so much good stuff to get into. um so as we kind of head into this topic, can you tell us a little bit about like how did you kind of come to specializing in burnout and how you got to where you are right now? yeah definitely so i'll go I'll go way back so
1: um a uh, child of immigrant, so there's a very specific kind of time and place that I was born and and a, Um, sort of the context of of me growing up. So I grew up in an environment where both of my parents were small business owners and like talk about grind, they grinded for their work, right? So they, I didn't see them for most of the day. They worked 12 plus hour days, um, including Saturdays, sometimes Sundays. So um, they installed that at a very young age, that grind is how you make it in America, right? In, In the United States, they both immigrated here. Um, in the 80s in California, Southern California, I was born here. And so that was my very first role models of uh, how to, how to work, basically how to work. Um, and also how to ignore your physical signs that things are not working right. They were always stressed out. You know, that was just sort of a constant state. And I thought that was, that was normalized for me. So um, got to give you like that context, because I think that's pretty prominent and, and important there. Um, and then yeah, I studied psychology, uh, went to grad school for clinical psychology, became a licensed therapist. I think I officially got my license in 2016 um, and been practicing ever since then. Uh and for folks who've been in like the helping field, so either like the social services or mental health, we know about the grind culture is very much prominent there as well. Um unpaid internships are very much how a normalized thing. So a lot of folks who maybe don't come from a place where they uh, could afford to go to school and do a free internship also had a full-time job, right? And so these are things that I experienced as as well in in graduate school. And that thing, that always continues. And then me seeing my supervisors constantly stressed. They had a private practice and full-time running, you know, being a supervisor at a clinic, um i that was again it keeps getting normalized that okay grind you have to sort of grind you have to push past your limits that's how you are a team player i remember my my very first job after graduate school um i was working at it uh, inpatient unit uh it was called like an a, a, uh, acute diversion unit so folks basically like from experiencing a mental health crisis like straight up from the street um would come to our doors in need of a crisis needed of help 24 hours And, um, I was getting paid hourly, right? So state mandate, I have to take a break, right? It's like every five hours or something like that. You have to at least take a 30 minute break. Um, and I remember once we were busy, but I didn't eat for for all day. I was starving. I was on my feet and I just needed a break. And I, um, told my team, Hey, I'm, I'm starving. I just need to take a break right now. Um, and the team lead looked at me and was like, are you really going to do that right now? And so, um, but this is not an uncommon thing, right? Like, because that person was, all this has been reinforced to her, right? So we all kind of, and then we self-police each other. Um, so anyways, I grew up you know, thinking that we have to grind to be successful. I did the grind. I actually became successful. I became a supervisor. Um, I, I, I was there, I was the earliest person there and the last person to leave, right? Like I thought like, that's what you needed to do to show that you, you know, you, you're dedicated, you're a team player. I drank that Kool-Aid. I did the work and it wasn't until I was at a a health tech startup, uh, which is funny going from community mental health to, to that place, um, where I experienced severe burnout. That's when it came to a head. So that was, I was in my early thirties at that point, kind of grinding for most of my life. I had a job since I was 16. Um, I got a cancer scare. So I had, uh, I, I yeah, there was a breast cancer scare my first year at that job. Um, it was ended up being benign, but it was really scary because my mom died from cancer just a few years ago. So it was really scary. I still didn't do anything about it. I still continued life in the grind as usual. And then the next year I got another, uh, breast cancer diagnosis again, I'm okay. Like it was all like, it ended up being fine. Um, unfortunately life will do this you, right? It will give you these signs that things are not working. If it's not, my depression if it's if it's not my like cognitive you know I was like my memory was like starting to fail was my insomnia physical shit is gonna come off right so I had the it was my second cancer diagnosis that was like got it this is not working something's not right that was the first time in my life that I slowed down I took a full week off of work and I I got in a place where I turned off all my devices. I really sat down with myself and I said, what's not working? And it was so, it was clear as day. Like, you know, we all have access to this intuitive wisdom that I it just took five minutes of me really looking at it and saying, what's not working. Um, and it was my lifestyle. It was this job specifically. Um, so I, I got a, I had a therapist, but I added a, a coach uh, and that changed my life. Like I love therapy. I'm a therapist. I know the the like power of like processing and the, like that coaching aspect was so helpful because it was like, it was just no bullshit. There was no time to like meander. It was just like, what do you want? What's not working? What are you going to do? What's your deadline? And I was like, oh yeah, got it. This is like, this is serious. This is literally life, life or death. And so I made big changes in my life. I quit my job. I started my own private practice and it was the best decision I ever made. And so I- Dove into the research about burnout, and I realized it's not just me, right? And I think a lot of times we get we internalize it. There's something wrong with me, and that's why we don't talk about it. We don't talk about the depression, the the feeling of burnt out and, and stress. Once I and then the data that you said at the top of like it's disproportionately aff- affecting like uh, uh, BIPOC folks, queer folks, uh, working moms, right? Uh, once I heard that data, I was like, oh, this is a systemic issue. You know, this is not just me. Um, and so, and now that's the work I do now. So I work with folks, business owners, uh, employee, like I just work with everybody under the sun who is experiencing burnout. Um, um, so I do, I do therapy, but I also do the burnout coaching, which is like targeted. It's short term. It's, it's like kind of the work that I got that was like really just influential and changed my life. Um, and I add that, that lens of like seeing it in a systemic, uh, level, like removing you as an individual from it. Um, and seeing what, what changes could be had.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's such, you know, uh, an intense story and a lot of, um, but a lot of beautiful things really are, have come out of it, you know, and I think a couple of things that I wanted to um, just emphasize was when you were talking about how, you know, there's that shame aspect of not wanting to talk about it and how, you know, just we internalize capitalism so much. And especially as immigrants, right. That whole piece of it, that feeling of, you know, ever since you're young, you have to prove yourself, you have to earn something like, it's just, it's so exhausting, like you said, and it does affect us in so many ways. And and that's something else is like, your body, like you said, will send you signs and it can become a very physical thing, right? To, um, overwork yourself and to have that level of stress going on in your body all the time. And so many people who struggle with burnout also struggle with clean rest and, and being able to just unplug, right? Because it becomes like this cycle of even when you're not working, you're still in this like stress mode. And that's the exhausting part. Um, And so I guess a question that I think would be really helpful for our listeners as well is how do you start recognizing like the signs of burnout? Like what are some of the first things before it gets to that full-blown health kind of place that people can start realizing, okay, I need to slow down? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So yeah, burnout
1: does not happen overnight. It does not happen in, in a vacuum. It is burnout happens after repeated exposure to stress, and us repeatedly ignoring those signs and going past our limits. Um, so, uh, so there are actually stages be- that before you hit the burnout stage. And it's, it's stress. And then it's chronic stress. So, um, and I should just say when we talk about stress, um, there is something called good stress. Good stress is when you feel a little anxious, when you're pushing yourself past your comfort zone. Um, but once you push past and you're doing the thing, you don't feel stress. So that's something to differentiate. Cause I think there is a lot of people are like, well, then I'm always anxious. So then I should never do anything. It's like, well, no, there is, there is good stress. That's when it's aligned with your values, aligned with your goals. There's a little bit anticipor- anticipatory stress because you've never done the thing or, you know, let's say it's public speaking and it, it kind of stresses you out. But while you're in the zone and you're in it and afterwards you don't feel stressed. So that, that is something that to hold on. Chronic stress, on the other hand, is when you, you have that anticipatory stress. You don't want to do the thing you're doing the thing and you're not enjoying it. You don't like it. And then afterwards you're feeling drained. So, um, everybody has different, um, physical and mental cues that you are stressed. Um, and when it goes from just regular stress to chronic stress, it's literally And then to burnout, it's literally just amplifying your initial symptoms. So let's say my, let's say for me, it's anxiety for sure. So let's say my if I'm in the early stages, it's um, maybe a little worry. Like I'm just a little worried. Um, Then it turns into anxiety. And then maybe I'll start having panic, like episodes of just straight up panic, or I cannot sleep because my mind is uh, constantly kind of um, reviewing the shoulds, the what ifs, et cetera. Um, Once you're sitting in that stress cycle for a prolonged period of time, that's when that something is not working. Um, so everybody has a different, again, like different physical, mental signs of stress, shaking, crying, um, you know, apathy, anger is another one. So it looks different for everybody. And I think as I'm probably saying this, you could probably pinpoint what's true for you. Um, I will just say like intuitively, like human beings are very intuitive, uh, people, beings, we know exactly what's working and we know exactly what's not working, right? Like I don't need I don't need to like know my signs of stress to know when, uh, my boss is telling me to do five things without teaching me and expecting me just to learn on the job. I know that's not okay. And I know that's going to stress me out. Right. Like there, there are limits that we know that, that, um, they're just not working. Um, so, so yeah, that's what comes to mind when I, when I'm thinking of like, what, what are the, the signs, you know, it for yourself. Right. And, and the thing about once you get to that, Place of burnout and stress, when it becomes chronic, we lose that sense of ourselves, right? So we, we it gets so normalized that grind that it's hard. It's hard to identify. And if you haven't done the work of identifying your values, if, you're, if you don't know what your limits are, if you've never been in a position to even have a chance to articulate your limits or even have limits, I think a lot of us from like immigrant backgrounds, oh, you are not an individual. You are part of this collective family. And, um, uh, we don't, we love you and we care for you. and We're going to give you the necessities, but we do not really give you space to, to share what, what you feel, what's not working. You just kind of have to don't rock the boat, right? Um, so if you've grown up in an environment where it's, or it's super chaotic and there's no room for your needs, if you haven't had the chance to even identify those needs, then you're going to keep moving past it and getting stressed out and you won't even know where your limits are. So that's the very first thing to do and that like unplugged work right like turn off all your devices get quiet with yourself and so you get to tap into that inner wisdom uh, and your intuition and then say what do i value so if you value family and then you look oh i'm working 60 hours a week and i'm totally ignored my partner or i totally ignore if you have children my children or my if my if your friends if your community is your what you value and because you're we work so many hours, you don't have time to spend with them, then you know that's not working, right? So um I would say the the work before you even identify those, so you have those physical signs of stress, those mental mental signs of stress. And then if things are not aligning with your values, so get clear about your values, what what your limits are, and then you could very clearly pinpoint, oops, I'm moving past it. This is not working. Um especially especially a lot of us tend to be like, oh, I'm a little anxious. That's normal. Like, oh, I have a pounding headache. That's normal. I'm just going to like take more like pills for it. Uh, And then we just sort of ignore it. So once you get clear, uh, then you don't have to wait for your body to give you those those signs that it's not working. Yeah.
0: I love everything that you said, and especially the part about family systems and how we can often grow up in an, an environment where it doesn't promote advocating for yourself or, you know, your needs or even your boundaries as a little kid, which you're not going to call them boundaries, but, um, you know, those things can often just be seen as inconveniences for everyone else around you, right? So it's almost like if your own family or your own parents don't pay attention to those needs or kind of gloss over the things that you uh, that your intuition is telling yourself that you need, then obviously you're not going to trust like a random boss that you have no relation to to also care about those things. And I think that that's such an important aspect of where especially a lot of us as BIPOC kind of feel that lack of like just that feeling of no one's going to care. Right. And, um, then we get that reinforced through, you know, racism and systemic injustice. And so we're constantly being this fed, fed, these messages of no one cares about us. No one cares about me. And I think it's so important to start building up those muscles of advocating for yourself, whether it's with your friends, relationships, you know, even in small ways. And of course, especially at work, um, So if someone has no experience with setting boundaries or not knowing how to even begin having those conversations, like, where do you recommend them starting if it is in, you know, a work situation? Oh, that's such
1: a good one. Yeah. The first one would be to identify where your limits and your boundaries are. If, if you're somebody who has never done the work, it's going to feel so hard at the beginning. It's going to feel, you're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel like you're letting people down. Um, and you're gonna, you're more likely at the beginning to backtrack. It's okay, but only if it's more convenient for you, right? We'll do that. That sort of like dance, and that's okay. It's this is a long process. If you spent your first 20 years not identifying your needs, not even knowing that you would actually have the right to have needs and limits and boundaries, um, this is going to be really. Uh, it's going to just take some time. So just be patient with yourself. Um, so you also have to commit to it. That's the other thing. So you have to really decide it's really making a, 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 sound core decision with yourself. I choose to stand up for myself. Um, sometimes you have to repeat that daily and just remember yourself. Cause you're going to go back to your automatic track, right? Like we're, we're so used to being in a specific dynamic. Especially if we had a dynamic with our caregivers, it's so likely that that dynamic with our caregivers gets replicated in the workplace. Um, You know, they're the authority figure. I can't speak up. I wait until they give me permission, right? So, um, so once, so it's right, just be patient with yourself, but give your, make that commitment today, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up for myself today. So that way you already come in with that frame of mind. So you're less likely to be swayed or less likely to backtrack um and it's really just practice. So again, if it's new for you, I would practice with somebody that you trust first. Um so if you have a good good friend, a uh, a partner that that you could try, and you tell them, I'm going to do this work. Listen, I've never worked I've never worked on boundaries before. I really want to try. Um and that's a really good way to test out your friendships and your relationships. If your if your partner, if your friend is like, "Hell yeah, I'm so proud of you. Like please practice on me." Um, you know, get, that's a really good sign and practice with them. So when you're very, I mean, we're starting basic, but we got to start basic. Your partner's like, what do you want to have for dinner? If you're, if you're saying whatever you want, that's fine. Even though internally you do have a preference, right? We all have needs. Um, and so practice there. Oh, you know what? Actually, I, I changed my mind. Um, I'm actually feeling this way. Right. And then that, and because you're telling your partner or your friend, then they could reinforce, Hey, I just noticed you did that Great job, or um, so, uh, practicing definitely helps. And then giving yourself permission to say, no, uh, that's what I always say at the beginning. You have permission to say, no, you have permission to change your mind. Um, and you have permission to take your time. So, uh, especially if this is new, uh, make, let me get back to you an automatic first response instead of yes, that way you could t- sit, you could sit back without the pressure of somebody else. Cause especially if we are prone to guilt, we could take a step back and say, do I have time to do this thing? You know, is this in, is, do I, do I value this thing? Is there somebody else who can do it, right? Then you could really determine, do I have enough time and energy on my plate to do this? Do I need support to do this thing? Um, that way we make a little bit more mindful decision. And, and instead of just saying, yes, yes, no limits. Uh, then your plate gets piled up, then you get resentful. Um, and then we, we, the burnout cycle
0: kind of continues. Um, so those would be some, some things that yeah, come to mind. Yeah, those are such great suggestions. I love the idea of practicing with someone that you trust and doing it in a safe environment, right? Because if you feel awkward or guilty immediately, and then you just go to your boss and you say, you know, I'm not doing this. I'm not like, that's going to feel so <laughs> terrible to you. And it's, it's almost going to kind of increase like the shame factor, you know, because it's like, now I, I can't even do my job. And even if that's not even true, and even if you're only saying no to things that are added on to what your job already is, like those feelings really do surface and they do come up, especially for people who are already struggling with that in the first place. So I think that that's such a great suggestion. And how do you feel about, um, Maybe like the idea of unspoken boundaries, which not like all the time, but, you know, with small things like not answering your emails after work or things like that where, you know, because I feel like especially in capitalist America and possibly other countries as well, but those expectations of you, those things where where you go above and beyond become expectations really. And then everyone else is doing a lot less than you are, but you're being held to a higher standard because you came out of the gate doing so much more, taking on extra projects. And that really ended up being my role. I worked worked at a university, but um, my department was within another department. There was only six people in it. And so I became the person that was like, I'll take the extra thing. I'll do the extra thing. If there's anything else, Else left over, just give it to to Roshni. I really grew really resentful of that really quickly. Um, and even when I tried to have projects that went my way or something like, then a, a decision maker who was much more above me would go and and make certain decisions, but then I would still have to do the work. And so it really ends up being this cycle of you're just kind of perpetuating this feeling of being unseen and this feeling of being like this invisible fairy that comes in and cleans up everyone's mess and i think that that's so it just sucks to feel like that it's not a good feeling um and you feel like you're being taken advantage of and then especially when you introduce then the the pay gap or you know the things like that then it's like oh my god i'm getting paid less and doing so much more and i think that a big part of me not being able to set boundaries in my first few jobs really burned me out on corporate America as a whole, because I was like, I can't trust myself to hold up my end of the bargain. And so now I, I don't know how to exist in this world. Um, so, I mean, how do you kind of, yeah, navigate a, the, the unspoken boundary thing and B, how can you kind of start maybe the process of backtracking away from some of that extra work that has now become an expectation for you? That is such a good... Thank you
1: for sharing, by the way. I always appreciate like hearing people's personal stories because it really does help like contextualize what that actually looks like. Um, but what you make such a good point, which is you cannot wait for your boss. You cannot wait for your place of work to do that work You they're not gonna give you permission, especially if you are moving past your limits. They're gonna think that's where your limits are. They're they're getting a false idea of actually where um where our no is, right? Because we're not we're not doing that, and then you get into the model minority, which I fall into that category as well, where um it's expected of me and I'm doing it. So it's it works kind of both ways, and I think that's so that's why like racism is so insidious and capitalism is because uh we we learn these things so we learn we have to grind we have to work twice as hard like we know we know that's almost a fact for us right um and then we go to a new place of work and we're internalizing it so we're we're doing it as well and then that is feeding it's perpetuating that stereotype for them as well so it makes it even harder to get out of that it's a trap and it makes it even harder to get out of it um so um all this to say is uh our limits let's say are here and I know we're audio not visual but like let's say my left hand is somewhere here that's where our limits are but because we keep pushing past it folks are going to think that our limit is way over here now I'm going like five feet like past my other hand right um so people actually don't know and because we're efficient so they think we're efficient but we're working like you know 60 hour day they don't realize that we're actually there's a lot of energy um that it that we're we're pulling from they think oh thank you it's a miracle. The fairy did it the next day. Like, you know, they churned out this work. And so this work must be easy for them. Like, this is really what they, they believe. They think it's easy for us. Um, they think that, uh, it doesn't take a lot of time. Like we're just naturally great at doing these, like kind of, um, churning out work in reality, there's a tremendous amount of energy. There is a tremendous amount of stress. We're working past our hours, uh, now that we're remote, like we, it's either, if you just, I used to work in the office until the, the folks had to turn off the light. And then I would get, that was the only reason why I would leave my desk is like the person who was like cleaning up this, the office had to be like, the lights are off. You need to go home. Um, now that we're mostly remote, I mean, most people work remotely, especially in like, um, you know, professional services or whatever. Um, you don't have that person like shutting off your light. So you, it's all, it, it is, it is you. Right. Um, and so that's the internalized piece. So, so we have to identify what our, our limits are. We have to identify our worth. I think that's where your work comes in of like, we've been taught to believe that because we are not white and I've learned this too, because I'm not white, because I'm not a man, because I'm not straight, that like, I'm, I have less value. I have believed that that's what I like operated under and for such a long time. And that's why it was hard for me to speak up. Well, why would I speak up? They, uh, I don't deserve, I don't deserve a raise. I, I don't deserve to be in a manager position. You know, I'm, I, I work hard, but um, so once you actually believe that for yourself, that you actually deserve it, um, that really helps with that empowerment piece uh, because you do deserve it. You do have intrinsic value um, and we need you for the long run, right? Like we don't, especially for disenfranchised folks, like we are stressed out at a higher rate than other folks, you know? So like we really needed the self-preservation piece has to be number one we have to care for ourselves we have to be there for our family our friends our community um you know and i'm saying all of this just to sort of like empower us to do to like you can do it um so so going back to the analogy of like our bosses our systems that we work in they think our boundaries are way over there um they got to that point because we moved past it so now we have to do the same we're just going to retrain our bosses basically so we're going to I always tell my clients, announce it, tell them, Hey, I, I'm gonna, again, self-disclosure, whatever you feel comfortable with, but you could, I've had people say like, I'm burnt out boss. I'm seeing a burnout coach and I'm doing these things to take care of myself. So I could, so I can work here. So I don't have to like quit kind of a thing. So I have people who are like that bold, you do not have to self-disclose and I have other folks who just don't say that they just kind of start to say no. So whatever you feel comfortable with, um, it's just practice. You just say no. And, um, how long is it going to take? Start to ask more questions. Uh, how op- do you need this? Is this turnaround? Like, can I finish it tomorrow or can I do it in a month? Uh, okay, actually I need another, I think I need more help on this. Is there anybody else? Like, can you help me with, you know, so then you start to like add the nuances. So I, I always encourage folks to ask questions too, because a lot of, a lot of what you're speaking to have just like, just do this thing, and and they know because you're you you get it done that you're going to get it done. So start to build in that nuance of um, when do you need to buy, how long is it going to take, approximately? What tools do I need? Well, you know, here are all the things I have on my plate. So that's another thing I always tell folks to make a list of all the projects they are doing because a lot of times, especially if you're like the yes person um, your boss might not even know like half the things that are on your plate. So, oh, you know what I'm working on like all of these projects already. And even if it's just one thing, it's like one thing could be taking up a lot of your time. Um, so knowing that you deserve it, speaking up for it, trying to add those nuances of like time and like give your boss the sense to like to pause. Um, and then you're going to start normalizing those behaviors. And so it's a sort of like a backtracking process of, um, um, you know, putting those limits on and then, yeah, saying no, putting an away message at five o'clock on the weekdays on the weekends. Uh, you know, there's like actual tools that you can do. Put that like lunch thing on your calendar, put that one hour dedicated lunch and put that away message. Like, um, even when you had those coworkers, like I did, that would like roll their eyes or be like, I can't, you're going to take a break now. Yeah. I'm going to take a break now or else I'm going to leave. And I did, I left after like, Six months at that place because it was so like toxic. Um, If you want me here, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take care of myself, and that's just that's just fact. And when we take care of ourselves, when we take breaks, um, our work life balance is better. We feel better. Our work quality improves. When we're constantly stressed out, our brains literally cannot function. Our brains are literally in survival mode. We process information slower. We can't access our uh, our memory banks as fast. We we perceive threat everywhere because our amygdalas are activated, right? So like, there's there's a I there is a you could point to research of like why you need breaks and why being in a constant state of stress um, and back to back meetings are just not working. If you need to c- go to that point, and and at the final thing I'll say is you could always go to HR, and I know that's probably unpopular some HR places really do suck, but um, some of them are, will will have your back, especially if you point to the research, especially if you point to um, how it's affecting you.
0: Yeah, you made so many great points. And even if you as the listener are someone who, you know, has just kind of trained yourself to think about the company's bottom line or, you know, the the workplace more than yourself, which is a big part of probably how you ended up here. But, um, you know, even if that's you, if you think about it as, okay, well, a, if I'm not working at my top capacity and like you said, I'm not able to process information, all these things are slowing me down, but also b, if you get to this place where you're so burnt out, you're not working at full capacity and then you leave that still kind of screws over the company, right? Because then they have to rehire, retrain, get someone else new. Everyone has to adjust to a new person. So even if you're, someone that isn't used to thinking about yourself or prioritizing yourself, but you prioritize your company, it still is within the company's best interest for you to not be burnt out. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because, not distinction, but it's an important point to make because then you can start to say, okay, well, this isn't good for anyone involved, right? It's not that I'm being selfish and I'm only thinking of myself and I'm, you know, it's, it's really not coming from that place. It's coming from, yeah, just this place of things working cohesively and things feeding back into each other. And the more that you can go into meetings with a good attitude and with energy, the better that the outcomes will be. The less stressed out, you know, everyone can start seeing the work environment because your coworker stress affects you. Your stress affects your coworkers, and that's what eventually makes it this environment that isn't fun for anyone to be in. You know, um, so I just wanted to make that clear as well. Um, just for someone who's having a hard time prioritizing themselves. Um, But I do want to talk more about how burnout plays a role in your sense of worthiness and how we can, you know, figure out how, just how they inform each other, right? Because the more that you value yourself, the more that you're like, it's important for me not to be burnt out. But at the same time, the more that you feel like you... Deserved to struggle because that really is, even though it's an unconscious or subconscious belief, that is something that fuels a lot of us because of our past experiences, especially as BIPOC and LGBTQ folks and so on and so forth. We've had harder lives in a lot of cases. We've had a lot more to deal with. And with all of these aspects of media or your communities telling you it's expected that we struggle, you know, it's up to us to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And even talking about, you know, how rest and productivity are becoming such big topics of conversation, this whole like revolution that's happening. And even with just pages like the nap ministry and things like that, that really talk about how you have to be the one to side that rest is important. You have to be the one to shift your priorities and really start backing that up through your actions. Um, and so I think it can really start with self-worth in a lot of those cases. Um, so how would you kind of describe the relationship between burnout and self-worth? Yeah, that's such an awesome question.
1: When you say that, what comes to mind is, um, (laughs) When you're, when you're so used to dating shitty people, you think you deserve that, right? Like you, it, it, and that's, that's related, right? Cause if I feel like I, that's what I deserve, um, that's how I'm supposed to be treated, right? There, there is something connected with what we allow in our lives, um, and how we feel about ourselves. That is for sure, uh, connected, uh, and related. Um, And if you're a spiritual person, like, right, you're also attracting these things as well. um, If if that's really what you believe, if you knew how important you were in this world, right? Like if you actually believed in your intrinsic value as a human being, if you actually believed in your like, uh, how, how amazing you are, how, how special you are, how important you are to this world. Like we, we need you, right. If you actually start to believe that, if a shithead comes to you, you're going to be like, I don't want anything to do with you. If they treat you less than how you actually feel about yourself, you're not even give that person the time of day. Right. Um, because you know that and you believe that to be true to yourself. And so that's why the work, you know, it does help to have to live in an environment where people are like respecting us. Like I, I want to live in that world. Uh, and I think we, we are co-creating that, right? Like the more we, we do that to ourselves, um, respecting and loving ourselves and respecting and loving like the people in our world, the more we're co-creating that. And we have to do that work for ourselves at the same time. So it's definitely related. So if you if you know your worth, if you know exactly how you d- you should be treated, um, you won't you won't settle for less. There's no, there's no even room to argue with that. Um and and so and a lot of people end up having just to quit jobs that they've like already sort of developed this rut with which they are already like I'm a I've already developed this dynamic with my boss where like, I'm scared when they walk in the room. I I automatically become smaller when they're there. Um, I feel like I feel uncomfortable to, to share my thoughts. I just keep saying, yes, like I really want to, but the environment is so toxic or you've already sort of created these, these like grooves and of dynamics and, and this track for yourself. Um, and you know, that's co-created, right? It's not just you. It's like the, the the system is so set up to like grind you and, um, treat you and undervalue you. it, It is hard. I have to say that it is hard to sort of recreate that in that moment. So a lot of people end up just quitting and then they start fresh when they look for jobs and then they don't settle. Right. Like, again, like that, there is a level of privilege there. Um, but when you actually understand your, your worth and what your value, um, you won't settle for less, and you're more likely to negotiate. So, let's say you do find a job that you really like, you like the culture, um, and you see the pay, and you're like, "I think they could do better, right?" Like, and you could do your research. People in the position that I'm in, they usually get paid around this range. I deserve the highest range on that range, right? You know, um, um, you know, it's like standing up for yourself. It's advocating for yourself. So, um, yeah, self worth is definitely, I'll say, a huge, huge part of it, and and I, and a lot of the um, I know a lot of the work I do for, for not everybody, for, but for some folks, is just like encouraging that piece. Like you deserve that, right? Like, and where does that come from? So then we, it is important also to like, it, you know, interrogate a little bit. Like, where did you learn that it's okay to be treated this way? Like, where did you learn that um, in order to succeed, you had to grind and have zero limits and keep saying yes and be constantly stressed out? Because once you start in- interrogating that a little bit, you get to see it for what it is. Um, and then it it becomes it can becomes even that much easier to work past it and be like, got it. That's not me. That's just this like old way of thinking because my parents did the whole grind culture. They were treated really poorly in this country. That's what they believed. And, you know, you know, bless them for thinking that, but that's actually not true. Like I deserve so much more. I'm capable of so much more. Okay. And my last point, I know I'm going on, but the last point is role models. That's why it's important. So when you're in a, a work environment and you don't see any BIPOC folks and you don't see any women, you don't see any binary people, trans people in leadership. If you share that identity, how are you supposed to know that you're, you can do that, right? Like if you don't see that reflected back at you, that just reinforces like, I'll never be able to make it. Like I can't, I can't do it. And so that's why, again, when you come from that place of self-worth, um, and you reach those points, you are always role modeling that for other people too. Um, But, um, anyways, I say that to just sort of give some compassion if like you, you fall into that, that rut, um, because it is real, um, when you don't have those role models. Um, 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 but yeah, anyways, and it starts, it does start with self-worth that that's, I really truly believe that.
0: Yeah. I think I loved what you said about, you know, establishing that new baseline and just saying like, this is what I will put up with. This is what I won't put up with. And I think, you know, so much of you just deciding that, like you said, it that's when you get the courage to negotiate. That's when you get the courage to ask for things or to say no, because your why is really in the fact that I'm not going to value this job over my life, over my health, over my family. And even if those are just your, your three things that you prioritize, you know, that still gives you that courage to say like, This just isn't worth it, you know? And obviously, I know we live in capitalism. I know that there is a level of privilege to that. But at the same time, you have to decide that that privilege is a right, you know, because people will continue to just walk over it and walk over it. Again, going back to how going above and beyond becomes an expectation for you and not for everyone else around you. Um, And I also wanted to say, I was listening to a career coach the other day. And they were talking about getting creative when negotiating. So, you know, yes, you want to ask for more money. You want to ask for a raise, but also, you know, uh, um, you can ask about things like commuting or, you know, having like some sort of reimbursement for that or PTO or, you know, there's so many other kind of benefits in the job sector that you can really push for, even things like a gym membership or um, maybe like uh, getting a certification that you need paid for or covered. Like, And I think it's just really important to to say that because we often think of things in a very kind of like narrow-minded way or we think there's only one way of going about it when it really is about putting that pressure on even in the interview or even when you know you're having those meetings with your boss your annual review or whatever it is to say like i i need something else or like this is what i'm going to like this is where my new limit is going to be at work with the projects that I'm taking, you know? And if they say no to everything, like you said, and the environment is just toxic, then it's not going to get any better. And again, it's about choosing yourself in that situation. I mean, I guess if someone's in that situation where they are they know they've tried to have the the conversations. The conversations aren't going anywhere with, you know, getting a raise or getting some sort of reimbursement. Um, And they're worried about leaving that job, but they know that it's not the right place for them anymore. You know, how can you kind of encourage someone in that situation when they're scared to take that leap? Maybe they don't have a big enough savings or, you know, there's all those factors coming into play. How do you suggest they at least start thinking about it? Like how, where should their mindset kind of be in that situation yeah great question and and going back just the intuitive
1: piece right you know when things are not working um, and again if you've already created sort of this dynamic with between you and your and your place of work and you're finding it really challenging you're putting effort but it's just really challenging to get out of um, and these are all really good indicators that it's time to go i would say what holds people back the most is the fear and it and so part of that work let, don't ignore the fear like identify the fear like that is so real because um you know it's literally our livelihood i mean we need a paycheck right um and with the fear uh, differentiating between fear and facts so like a lot of times when we sit in anxiety and we sit in fear it kind of takes a life of its own and i i'm guilty of this so that's why i say that with a lot of compassion like we tend to go to the worst case scenario like we catastrophize like if I quit, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to live on street. Like we just kind of get to the worst case scenario. Um, um, and that's fine. Right. Like feel that too. Um, and then kind of sit back. And once you, you're maybe a little bit like come to a different place, like actually write things down. So, um, like how much do I have in savings? How much do I actually need? If you're dividing rent, utilities, all of that, like how much well, give myself three months, like if if it's taking me three months to find a new job. Like how, how much can I survive off of? And what do I have? Um, if you don't have those things, what are things that you can do to survive in that, in that time? Do you have like family that you could rely on? Can you move in with somebody? Can you get a roommate? Um, can you get, uh, Oh yeah. Like I have a friend who's looking for like uh, somebody to help with like bookkeeping 20 hours a week. I could totally do that while I look for a job. So I'm not like, it's never like zero to a hundred, um, so really, and again, when we're already stressed out, it's so easy when we're stressed it, we are more likely to get more stressed because we're already in that like mindset. So, um, the fear is normal. You're it, and it's really scary. And I think that's, that unfortunately is what holds a lot of people back. Cause it just stopped there, which is, I need this job to survive or else I'm going to be literally on the street. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to do anything about it feel those feelings, feel that, that worst case scenario, and then really kind of look at all of your options. Um, when, when we're, when we're in that state of stress, we're actually l- less creative. So, uh, our, our capacity to create actually gets reduced. Um, when, when we are at wanting to sit down and having that conversation with ourselves, maybe we want to invite a loved one that we trust to help us kind of navigate. Um, I should also say talking about finances, it could already be triggering to some folks. So, um, acknowledging that but really trying so getting into your safe place get comfortable like treat yourself like create an environment that's really like inviting and just sort of like start writing different ideas right like we want to tap into that creative part of our minds because there's ways that we could get creative um for for income in in the in between times right um we all have a network we all have friends who are doing something and you'd be surprised, honestly, once you put it out there, like what, what you can do to make a little bit of uh, extra income. If that, if that's truly what is stopping you, if, if that's what you need. Um, so really like really differentiating fear versus fact, I think is a really good, uh, first step.
0: Yes. I love that. That's actually something that I did at when I was leaving my first job, I was like, I know that, I'm past my point where things are gonna get better. I've asked for the raises, I've done the work, and you know, nothing's really coming out of it at this point. And after that, and some additional politics and and all of that stuff that goes on, you know, I was just like, I can't do it. And so I actually filled out this like fear-setting exercise of, you know, these are all my fears. This is what I can do to prevent them. This is what I can do if it happens. And so just having it all in front of me like that made it so much more. A it made it seem possible that I could still make that choice and B it also really just helped me kind of not overestimate what I had to do. I was able to look at it factually and say, "Okay, I'm I am nervous, these fears are real and even making like allowing myself to look at those fears as valid and then saying, "But that that's still not going to stop me." And I think even that really helped me kind of elevate my self-worth at that point, because I was like, I would rather, you know, be a little bit scared and do the scary thing because I know that it's ultimately healthier for me, better for me, and, you know, allows me to have a better quality of life. And that's what I care about more than anything else. Um, and so I actually, I have a worksheet of this fear setting exercise that I'm going to link in the show notes, because I think it'll be really important um, and and interesting for anyone who's you know, wanting to work through this on their own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, even deciding and kind of going back to the self-worth piece when I was at that first job that I was just talking about leaving, you know, I, I was like overhearing my boss talking about me and there were some things that I was just like, this is not okay. I'm not, there's no way out of this. And so even though I was scared, I, I, spent a few months building up my savings and then I just left and I had no idea what I was really going to do. I was at the very beginnings of my coaching business. And even after spending like five or six months You know, just kind of trying to build up my business, I had to go back and get a different job. But I got a job that wasn't going to ask me to work after hours, something that I could mentally check out of. And it was a little bit of a pay cut. And that in itself was also scary. But I didn't regret it one bit because, again, my quality of life was better. I wasn't answering emails at 9 p.m. at night every night. And I could walk away from the job, get in my car, and know that I was done for the day. And that to me was invaluable. So I just think that there's such a pressure, especially on immigrants, especially by your family, um, for us to make, you know, over six figures and make all this money. And, you know, of course, I... I want you to thrive. You want to thrive yourself, but at the same time, don't trade that for a low quality of life, right? Because I also know people that have buckets of money and don't have time to spend it. Don't see their family are, you know, separated from their friends and from, from their family, their marriages. end, and like, you know, the list goes on and it's really about you having to decide what you're willing to put up with and looking at your life more holistically, rather than saying, this is a job, this is what I have to do. And, you know, allowing again, that work-life balance to come into play is so, so important because again, you have to remind yourself that like, I'm a human being with needs. I'm not just a robot and I don't just exist to make other companies money. Like this is so much bigger than that. And I think that really is like kind of like a collective shift that's happening right now with so many people um but something that i do want to talk about as well is so i know that you know you've started your own private practice which is so so exciting and i saw that you do both burnout coaching and consultant work um but something that and i know there's a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners who listen to this podcast so i would love to talk about how you kind of manage burnout once you transitioned into your own business because that's another area where we can work 24/7 the pressure builds no one's giving us a steady paycheck and you know that's a whole other Ball game of, um, of just working and trying to manage your own work life balance once again. So, can you share a little bit about how you prevent burnout in your own practice?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Um, but just the point that you said earlier, you,
1: you can't think of I'm like snapping over here. Everything you're saying is like so, it's just like resonating with me so well. But I think a lot of times, especially from that immigrant background, the money is is your value, right? And not you don't have to be an immigrant. To, I think that's just like large culture, right? That we we do equate our our value to our position at work and to how much money we make, right? Um, and that is such a crapshoot because um, that's when we start ignoring our needs. That's when the depression sets in because we're saying yes to things that actually don't align. Um, um, so, anyways, all that to say is more money is not necessarily worth it. So uh, that that was. That's always a freeing thing for me to, to think about. Um and actually to that point. So I was telling, I told my my dad. So my mom passed away, like I said earlier, but I was telling my dad when I was getting to that point of burnout at work, I was like, Dad, I really like want to quit this job, you know, and you know, I had a good salary, I, I had great benefits, and um, I had a good title, you know. So I like kind of hit all the marks right to of a of a of something that uh, you know a proud daughter or a proud father could feel you know so I was like that I'm I'm really thinking about quitting it all starting my own private practice and his advice was don't do it he's like why would you give up that those things Mona like the okay if you want okay you know I understand because you know they were small business owners okay like if you want to make sure you're making at least 50 percent of the income you want to make that way when you you know so he made it like almost impossible he it was like am I really going to work a full-time job, which by the way, I was working way past my hours. I did probably 10 hours a day. So um, on top of that also have make 50% of the income from my private practice. This was just, a, it was an impossible standard. And um, so it was actually really, it was actually probably one of the first times that I was like, I hear you dad, I'm not going to do that. You know? And I think that was really, it was scary for me to be honest. Um, and um, going, you know, we don't want to go against our, our, our wise elders. Um, but that was one of the best decisions I ever made. And I never I haven't looked back since. So um, you know, just because someone's telling us their advice, what they think we should do, um listen and see if it resonates with you internally. I knew I couldn't do that. I was at that point of like, I'm killing myself. I I can't I can't wait any longer. Um so so when I did quit my full time job, I actually only had I had like I want to say two clients. Like I did not have that many clients on my private practice, but I I didn't care. And I, um, you have to take a leap of faith at a certain point. It's like, you're, you're never going to be ready. Nothing's ever going to be set up and perfect enough for you to take that leap of faith. But if you've sat down and you've really checked in with yourself internally, if you know that this is like, you're feeling pulled to do this thing, um, take a leap of faith. Once you take that first leap, things end up starting to fall in line, um, and, and things start to open up, uh, that will surprise you. Um, and that's, that's when, you know, you, you really are, um, you're hit your flow. So what, what's been instrumental for me, especially with like navigating my own, like internalized, like, you know, supervisor of like, when I first started, I was just sitting at my computer. I didn't have any, that many clients, but I'm just sitting at my computer, checking emails, uh, networking like crazy. And, and I did that self policing of like, I did eight hours at my desk when I didn't need to, after I like quit my full-time job. Um, so there's a little bit of unlearning, but what really helped me is, um, I had a a, a friend, honestly, it was just like one person who had her own business. Um, it was a, actually a friend of my partner's and my partner was like, Oh, I think you could really like, you know, you're just embarking on your own. I see that you're really anxious and scared. Like, how about I just put you into contact with this person who's ran her own business? She's, she's a consultant. For several years. I it was so helpful at the beginning to get some perspective from somebody who's been doing it. Like she just gave me permission, right? So, like one of the advice was um follow the crumbs of curiosity, right? Like you don't have to say, I'm a therapist and I specialize in burnout, and that's what I am, you know. And you box yourself in a little bit, but like giving yourself a little flexibility following the breadcrumbs of curiosity and see where they lead. And that's uh, that's what led me into consulting. I never thought I would be doing consulting, uh quite honestly. Um, a lot of the self-worth things definitely come into that of like who am I to be consulting at, at, at companies? Um, but they they do need people like us. Like they need especially like my like you know just you know like diverse whatever folks um they they need our voices actually and, and our voices do matter. Um, and they're looking for people like us in, in consulting specifically. So that was really great advice. So follow the breadcrumbs of curiosity. Um, she was the one who said like, identify your values because you're, there's no, um, now that when you work for yourself, there's no performance reviews, you know, you don't have a boss. You don't really know if you're doing a great job or not. So like, she was the one who was like, look at your values. And if you're ever feeling doubtful, like, am I doing the thing? Am I feeling aligned? Go back to your values. So if my values are honesty, integrity, you know, authenticity, am I doing those things? Am I every day? Yeah, I am. So I know I'm doing a good job. And that helps me kind of do that self-encouragement work. She also told me that it's okay to have an ideal client. That was really useful because I think a lot of times when we embark on our own, um, there is this state of um, scarcity where I have to say yes to every client that comes my way who wants my work. So if I say no, I'm literally saying no to my livelihood, my income. Um, uh, but that's not the case because you know if, if it's not a good fit. And if it's not a good fit, you're doing them a disservice. You're doing yourself a disservice. And like again, it's not about the money. Like It, it will come if you're actually aligned. I truly believe that. Um, so that was really helpful for me. And then she said, build time in your day to listen to your intuition. So she just, it was just really nice. And that's why I, I, I wrote these down and I'm literally reading exactly what she told me. And when I have friends who come to me who want to start their own private practice, I'm just giving that information back because you, I, it was just nice to have permission and hear somebody who's successful in doing the work, um, tell me these things. So, right and I did that. I built time in my day to listen to my intuition quietly. Like that is now part of my routine. Um, and then allow yourself to do something you love in the middle of the day. That was also very hard to do. Um, but having somebody who's successful telling me to do it and you won't regret it has been invaluable. So now I have this actual balance in my life. Like I, I make sure at three o'clock that I either take a walk or I exercise, like I do something that like I actually enjoy or love or listen to a podcast, right? Like even doing something that for us might feel like quote unquote, non-productive that rest is productive. Like that is what that's our fuel. So like giving our brains that our bodies, the rest, so we could feel, um, um, and then prioritizing yourself without layering shame. That was the the last thing that she, she shared with me. That's been really valuable. And I look to these things still to this day, she gave me this advice seven months ago and I'm still kind of living by it. And it's been really tremendous prioritizing myself without layering shame. Like it's, it's okay. If I want to take a day off of work, um, it's okay. If I want to work three days a week, if that's what I want for myself, that's okay. And, and see it, try it. Let's see if it works. Um, and, um, and actually it does work (laughs) if you give yourself, if you if you envision exactly what you want for yourself, um, and then put, you're manifesting a life for yourself. If you say, I want to work three three days a week, I want to work with these type of clients. I want to be able to like, you know, do yoga in the middle of the day or like stretch in the middle of the day. I want to be able to like read my favorite books at night or in the morning. Um, you can kind of create that life for yourself and see what works out. Honestly, when I get into that place of like, I'm relaxed and I'm in ease and I feel at peace, that's when the phone starts ringing. That's when people want my services. You know, it's not when I have that frantic energy of like, oh my gosh, this is my lifeline. And I'm going to like be, you know, unsuccessful. it's really that peace and ease and that relaxed state prioritizing your health. Um, it almost feels effortless at a certain point, the, the, the way that things open up because people are attracted to that energy too. Right. Um, as in my, I want people who are like relaxed and at peace and ease. Like I want to work with those people too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say.
0: All of that advice is amazing. She was like an angel that just came in and gave you like all these secrets, (laughs) which is awesome. Um, But yeah, I mean, I agree with so much of what you said. And that really is where that piece of like manifesting and co-creating comes in. And um, even with co-creation, like I think that is that piece of manifesting that a lot of people don't talk about, like, no, nope, you really can guide what you want. And you really can guide the universe to say, like you said, I want to work three days a week, or I want to have, you know, time in the mornings to do X, Y, and Z. And, um, I think a lot of us face that similar pressure of like, okay, well, my work day has to be nine to five. It's just that I'm working on my own stuff in my home office. And it's like, that's not building the life of freedom that you did this for. Right. And so many of the, so much of the time we end up creating these businesses and still trapping ourselves in them, you know, and that's when, you know, okay, it's not just a corporate job thing. This is also like a mindset shift that I really need to make within myself. And that information is really that it's just information that helps you figure out, okay, how can I put the pieces together? How can I figure out what I want to do and prioritize myself? Like, like you said, without shame. Um, And I also um, think that it's such an important point to make that how you create success is how you kind of reinforce your ideas of creating success. So if you're burning yourself out, but then your business starts taking off or you start getting some clients, then you're like, oh, well, the only way I can be successful is if I'm burnt out. And then you just reinforce that, right? So it's really important, especially when you're setting the precedent in your own business and your own rules, It you have to incorporate that time. Otherwise, you're basically telling yourself that I need to be stressed and unhealthy in order to have a successful business. And that's obviously not not good, right? And that's something that you have to, again, give yourself the permission to break away from and say, I'm going to rewrite this story. And this really is my place to be free. Um, So I just wanted to make that point as well. So I know we're getting to the end of our interview, um, but I also just wanted to let our listeners know if they want to work with you or if they want to find you and follow you, how can they do that? Yeah, definitely. So I'm on Instagram at Mona,
1: M-O-N-A-L-M-F-T. So Licensed Marriage Family Therapist. So Mona LMFT on Instagram um, or my website, which is Mona LMFT.com. And you could find, uh, you could DM me or there's a contact form if you want to reach out um, and work. Or if you just want to chat, I love meeting people who've also experienced burnout. Like I just, I'm down to network. I'm down just to like, just to meet folks as well. Um, um, Or if if you're interested in working with me as well, we could definitely
0: uh, try that out as well. Yes. so if you do want to check out Mona and her work, all of that is going to be in the show notes. Um, But thank you so, so much for joining me. This was such a beautiful conversation and I really just respect and admire your work so, so much. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for all your, like, I love the questions you asked um, and
1: I love your point of view. So thank you for inviting me. It's really fun.
0: Thank you so much, as always, for joining me for another episode of Is It Worth It?, if you've been enjoying this episode and think it would be helpful for others, please make sure that you write and review the podcast. It really helps me so, so much in supporting the podcast and helping it reach new audiences. And if you are able to write a review and email me a screenshot at hello at you'll be able to receive 10% off of any of my single session services. So that includes single session self-worth coaching and single session tarot readings. All links to my other content, my services, and our guest services are all going to be in the show notes below. Thank you again so, so much. I deeply appreciate your listenership, and I hope you have a beautiful day ahead.